sounded the balaclava on that very same bugle. On the 25th of October, 1854. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of Straight Talking English. We are powering our way through season four and what an amazing beginning. Seriously, as soon as I found that, I had to play it to you. If you did not hear what the old man just said, he is one of the survivors of the Light Brigade <laughs> playing the bugle that sounded the charge of the Light Brigade. This recording was made on a wax cylinder, one of the very first like methods of recording things and has been restored lovingly by an organisation in Scotland. Wowzers! My name is Catherine, I am your host as I have been for uh, over a year now on Straight Talking English and you can tell today we are going to go straight into The Charge of the Light Brigade, SCR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.com for a back catalogue of all my podcasts and some blogs and stuff stuff if you search up the full context on amazon at some point i will finish book five but books one to four are up you can get the absolute full context that goes along with the last season on of mice and men christmas carol jekyll and hyde and sign of four and i really should remember those because i wrote them but it seems like a long time ago the before time before I've been in COVID lockdown. If you look up on YouTube, there are a couple of awesome context videos, sadly. And my luck, bought my beautiful new camera, have not been able to go out and film. My camera is sad. But there will always be more context videos, there will always be more stuff coming up and I will absolutely keep you updated. It is now day eight of me being stuck at home I feel like I'm going a little bit stir crazy I have been naming the ducks that live by my house there is like a love triangle going on and if you hear an aggressive honking in the background <laughs> that's our friendly neighborhood goose called Chonk who honked so loudly I had to call, had to call a halt to a phone meeting because he was making his opinion heard from outside the window so, rapidly on point, the voice actor today doing the reading of our poem is Phil. If you like the sound of Phil's dulcet tones and you think, man, I wish that guy could read me some stories, I could go, a storyteller. He's actually a professional storyteller. Look for battlingbard.weebly.com b-a-t-t-l-i-n-g-b-a-r-d.weebly.com and you can employ Phil to read your very own stories or some of his own devising. Fantastic guy, fantastic storyteller. Can only, only recommend him. The other voice actor I have roped in today is Matthew. Thank you so much today for your help, Matthew. It's greatly appreciated. So big props to Phil and Matthew for getting involved. Okay, the story of the Light Brigade starts a lot further back than you may think. The story of the Light Brigade starts basically at the start of the 19th century. Actually, it starts about the year 1500, depending on how far we want to go back here, peeps. 
So we know the Charge of the Light Brigade is a famous charge in the Crimean War. But why was there a war in the Crimea? Why were Britain and Russia at war anyway? So, whoop, 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 that's my rewinding sound. In the year 1500, the Ottoman Empire took over the Byzantine Empire. Ottomans, Muslim, Turkish, and the Ottoman Empire is the basis for what we now know as Turkey. Everything's chill, everyone's doing well. However, by the start of the 19th century, it's clear that the Ottoman Empire is on its way out. Again, would not be a problem, except, oh my god, this is the era where we are terrified of Russia. Russia, so scary! Russia is so scary because they are big, powerful, and not that far geographically from India. One of the big fears of the 19th century is that Russia are going to take over, they're going to take our empire, they're going to come around with their vodka and bears, and then we are all going to be lost. Russia is also very close to the Ottoman Empire because of geography. So if, if the Ottoman Empire was to fall, Russia would just swoop in. Awkward. Tsar Nicholas I referred to the Ottoman Empire as the quote-unquote sick man of Europe. So the image is kind of like someone's grandpa sort of getting sicker and sicker and they're all sort of waiting to swoop around. The thing that uh, that kicked it off and like sometimes sometimes I have to laugh I really do so we've got the church of the nativity in Bethlehem and this is in territory controlled by the Ottomans cool church of the nativity by the way is where Kim Kardashian and Kanye West had their first altar christened because messiah complex much. Christmas time comes around, the local orthodox Christians want to hang a Christmas star, a lovely glittery Christmas star, at the Church of the Nativity. Western Catholics run in and say, no, this is very bad. They get support of the local law on the side. The um, Muslim law enforcement people, they say, no star. The orthodox people are like, yes, star. And the contemporary reports just have like, friars and monks and holy men fighting each other in the streets over Christmas decorations and I'm like oh my god I thought you guys were serious men of god or not Russia is like oh my god you stopped our orthodox christian people from worshipping in the correct way you guys are so bad we're swooping in to invade. The Ottomans are like, oh no, Russia's coming, help! So Britain, France, and a bunch of other people jump in to support the Ottomans, the Turkish people against Russia. All right, cool, that's our background. Basically, day one, people arrive, it all goes horrifically wrong. And it all goes wrong not because there's a war on but because the british commanders do not know what they are doing this young lad called harry blishan who was a private in the rifle brigade he'd run away from home to enlist and says we were drilled incessantly during the time we were there in fact almost harassed to death and i am sorry to say we lost several young men through the effect really 
really, we're just going to make them play fight and then they accidentally die. Like, oh. Just when Blishin ran into survival that, he says we have to hard, we have harder work against the cholera, dysentery and lake fever than we've had against five times our number of the enemy in Russia. The number of deaths with us and the French has been fearful. Dear mother, if you can give me a better example of the frailty of life than many of my comrades have offered me of late. That being in robust health one hour and the next hour groaning in the agonies of death. One poor fellow invoking the Almighty to forgive him his sins and another raging with fever. Seriously. Seriously. It's, it, it's all terrible. It's all terrible. But Brit's doing alright. We are getting on okay. We do our first offensive and take the town of Sebastopol. Alright, we're doing good. It's kind of surprising we're doing good, to be honest, considering as we showed up with the Light Brigade. They've got stuff from the era of swords and shields. They've got their sabres. And the Russian Emperor, who's quite keen on tech, sort these guys out with machine guns like i'm amazed we got this far to be honest the next plan after sebastopol is to head over to balaclava that's the next big city and i'm gonna have to try and paint you a picture in my mind a picture with words in your mind of what this all looked like so imagine a capital letter y on the ground and the Light Brigade are standing at the bottom of the capital letter Y. They're just chilling. Light, as in like packing light, gives a clue as to what their function is. They are the cavalry. They do not have a lot of equipment. They do not have the big guns. They do not have big backpacks. They do not have emotional baggage, I'm guessing. Their job is to go fast, go quick, get in, do the war, get out. And they are standing there and they are waiting for the order. Do we go down the left fork of the Y or do we go down the right fork? The general's sitting on top of the valley so he can see the left fork. And the left fork looks fine. You're going to go down there. There's a couple of dudes down there. Just go in. Do your cavalry, and then we're golden. But, again, this is where it went wrong. So, they get to the general on the top, Lord Cardigan, says, charge at the guns. He tells his secretary, his secretary has terrible handwriting and can't hear properly. The messenger takes the message down, and what they get is charge the guns to the front. Don't wait, just charge. And the guys in charge of the light brigade interpret that as don't go down the nice, safe, organised left fork of the big Y. No, go down the right one, directly at the machine guns. Just to make it worse, the guy delivering the message and the guy actually in charge of the light brigade on the ground are brother-in-law and they also really, really hate each other. So brother-in-law one is showing up with his little bit of paper saying charge towards the guns. 
brother-in-law too is like really really those big scary guns and the first guy sweeps out his hand in a dramatic gesture and goes yes sir those guns there are your guns and they're just sort of like okay then they start running and the general vibe is we could scarcely believe the evidence of our senses surely that handful of men are not going to charge an enemy in position alas it was but too true their desperate valour knew no bounds and far indeed was it removed from its so better part discretion that is a little bit of the newspaper article which i'm coming on to in a second one of the people actually in the charge cavalry charges are supposed to be this noble and glorious thing that we all want to do forever because it makes you a hero one of the guys who is actually there is called jack john fahey who is known as butcher jack he had been under guard for being drunk the night before and woke up to found to find the light brigade camp completely empty because he was hungover he jumped on a random russian horse still wearing his like butcher's apron so his nickname butcher jack was a reference to him being like an actual butcher and just grabbed an axe and went down there and he said nearer and nearer we came to the dreadful battery which kept vomiting death on us like a volcano till i seemed to feel on my cheek the hot air from the cannon's mouth at last we were on it half a dozen of us leaped in among the guns at once and i with one blow of my axe brained a russian gunner just as he was clapping the linstock to the touch hole of his piece like he was just about to fire the cannon with another i split open the head of an officer who was trying to rally the artillery detachment to the rear lord john paget who was so secure in the fact that he was going to be fine was he lit up a cigar on the way in said bewildered horses from the first line riderless rushed in upon our ranks in every state of mutilation one was guiding one's own so as to avoid trampling on the bleeding objects in one's path sometimes a man sometimes a horse the poor dumb brutes who by this time were galloping in numbers like mad wild beasts private whiteman who was there as well said my horse made a tremendous leap into the air though i know what not what at the smoke was so dense that i could not even see my arm in before me then suddenly i was in the battery and in the darkness there were sounds of fighting and slaughter in this gloom we cut and thrust and hacked like demons great great to be honest it was bad it's not the wholesale slaughter that tennyson presents but it's pretty bad of a total of the 632 men who charged 110 were killed in action including seven who died of their wounds 196 were wounded 57 taken prisoner 362 horses died or had to be put down astonishingly 276 men rode back down the valley without a scratch all right so i mentioned earlier about teching up and the military we can argue that actually this is one of the world's first modern wars it's kind of the prelude to world war one and 
one of the awesome tech things which happened was this crazy crazy thing called the telegraph so basically if you sent a reporter with a camera and that is the thing we actually have photos of the crimea if you sent a reporter to the front they would observe the battle write their report and you could have it less than two weeks after the actual thing happened now that sounds like a long time to us but compared to general other communication at this point that is blimmin fast the reporter who was at the front and saw all of this was William Howard Russell he was reporting for the times the battle was on the 25th of October 1854 that was Balaclava a little bit further on and that took till the 14th of November to be reported Russell was sitting next to the generals and saw all of this happen this is the report which he put together that was put straight into the times which landed on the breakfast table of Alfred Tennyson. If the exhibition of the most brilliant valour, of the excess of courage, and of a daring which would have reflected lustre on the best days of chivalry can afford full consolation for the disaster of today, we can have no reason to regret the melancholy loss which we sustained in a contest with a savage and a barbarian enemy. I shall proceed to describe, to the best of my power, what occurred under my own eyes, and to state the facts which I have heard from men whose veracity is unimpeachable, reserving to myself the right of private judgment in making public and in suppressing the details of what occurred on this memorable day. At 11 o'clock, our light brigade rushed to the front. The Russians opened on them with guns from the redoubts on the right, with volleys of musketry and rifles. They swept proudly past, glittering in the morning sun in all the pride and splendour of war. We could hardly believe the evidence of our senses. Surely that handful of men were not going to charge an army in position. Alas, it was but too true. Their desperate valour knew no bounds, and far indeed was it removed from the so-called better part, discretion. They advanced in two lines, quickening the pace as they closed towards the enemy. A more fearful spectacle was never witnessed than, though, than by those who, without the power to aid, beheld their heroic countrymen rushing to the arms of sudden death. At the distance of 1,200 yards, the whole line of the enemy belched forth from 30 iron mouths, a flood of smoke and flame through which hissed the deadly balls. Their flight was marked by instant gaps in our ranks, the dead men and horses by steeds flying wounded or riderless across the plain. The first line was broken. It was joined by the second. They never halted or checked their speed an instant. With diminished ranks thinned by those thirty guns, which the Russians had laid with the most deadly accuracy, with a halo of flashing steel above their heads, and with a cheer which was many a noble fellow's death cry, they flew into the smoke of the batteries. But ere they were lost from view, the plain was strewed with their bodies and with the carcasses of horses. They were exposed to an oblique fire from the batteries on the hills from both sides, as well as a direct fire of musketry. Through the clouds of smoke, we could see their sabres flashing as they rode up to the guns and dashed between them, cutting down the gunners as they stood. The blaze of their steel, like an officer standing near me said, was like the turn of a shoal of mackerel. We saw them riding through the guns, as I have said, to our delight. We saw them returning, after breaking through a column of Russian infantry and scattering them like chafe. When the flank fire of the battery on the hill swept them down, scattered and broken as they were, Wounded men and dismounted troopers flying towards us told the sad tale. Demigods could not have done 
what they have failed to do. At the very moment when they are about to retreat, a regiment of lancers was hurled upon their flank. Colonel Shadwell of the 8th Hussars saw the danger and rode his men straight at them, cutting his way through with fearful loss. The other regiments turned and engaged in a desperate encounter. With courage too great, almost for credence, they were breaking their way through the columns which enveloped them, where they took place an act of atrocity without parallel in modern warfare of civilized nations. The Russian gunners, when the storm of cavalry passed, returned to their guns. They saw their own cavalry mingled with the troopers who had just ridden over them, and to the eternal disgrace of the Russian name, the miscreants poured a murderous volley of grape and canister on the mass of struggling men and horses, mingling friend and foe in one common ruin. It was as much as our heavy cavalry brigade could do to cover the retreat of the miserable remnants of that band of heroes as they returned to the place they had so lately quitted in all the pride of life. At 11.35, not a British soldier, except the dying and dead, was left in front of those bloody Muscovite guns. Let's take this opportunity to catch up a little bit on Alfred Lord Tennyson, as he would later be known. This is another one in this thread of great poets who would later hit the big time and go mainstream, but hadn't really by the time their poem was included in the anthology. An early work by someone who would later be a pro. Think like that awkward first album and then the second album takes them into the mainstream. I think that's the case with Kings of Leon. Like, just showing my age here, Kings of Leon's first album was pretty good, but it was like the second album that had Sex on Fire and stuff like that. And that's my analogy between Kings of Leon and Alfred Lord Tennyson. So, Alfred was born to a firmly middle-class family in Lincolnshire. He actually retained the accent his whole life. What's funny is despite working with two boys from Lincoln at a previous job I held, I have no idea what the Lincolnshire accent sounds like because one of them had elocution lessons to make him sound like the queen because his mum thought it would be much better for his social progress (laughs) and the other two didn't really have an accent anyway but oh my days giving your son elocution lessons as a child like really anyway alfred went off to cambridge in all of these like poetic circles you know these like student poets and then they turn out to be important later he was like a minor celebrity because he'd already had some stuff published along with his brother no one had bought it or really cared but the fact that he'd had it published made him a bit of a big guy um his bestie was a guy called arthur hallam this is another massive theme which comes up in so many of our poets they are all secretly closeted they were very 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 good friends maybe the there's some people who theorize that they did actually fancy each other but agreed that they couldn't act on it and hallam ended up engaged to alfred's sister right okay 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 you're like maybe there's maybe there's nothing shady maybe it's just very close best friends but maybe not i feel bad for the sister but he died while he was on holiday um and alfred did not write anything for seven years and sort of just wandered around poetically feeling sad about the fact arthur had died again 
what is his sister doing at this point? She's lost her fiance, but no, no, it's all about Alfred. In terms of his love life, he turned down his future wife, then kept her on the maybe hook for three years, like all maybe we can get together, maybe no, and eventually said yes. Um, at which point she was already kind of older than the average bride and had sort of like, you know, she'd placed her bet on that particular horse. So already I'm thinking he's a bit of a dog. 1850 was the point at which he had gone mainstream with a long, long, long poem called In Memoriam, which was dedicated to Arthur and was him expressing his grief. He did actually do some bits and bobs before getting involved in all of this. He was trying to write, he was trying to do some stuff I guess. Um, not really. He wrote The Lady of Shalott which I vaguely remember from my childhood. The curse has come upon me, cried the Lady of Shalott, is the only line I can remember. But basically, he sort of just sat there in obscurity. Eventually, mostly on the strength of In Memoriam, he was appointed Poet Laureate. This was ahead of two other candidates, one of which probably was Elizabeth Barrett Browning. And he ended up being the longest serving laureate at 42 years. A little bit later on in his life, he would become known as Queen Victoria's favourite poet. And this would be like his claim to fame of, you know, I'm the Queen's favourite, blah, blah, blah. But he hadn't actually got there yet. <laughs> he wasn't quite there yet. He was just sort of like, oh, I guess this is what I'm doing anyway. So the news report lands on his desk a couple of days pass. His habit when writing poems was to sing to himself and see if any words fitted a tune he had in his head. His son later recalled, oh, by the way, his son is named Hallam. Like, oh yeah, of course, of course he is. Anyway, um, his son later recalled that he would walk around the cliff tops, kind of humming and repeating words to himself and then he would come back in the house and just get it done. So, within a couple of weeks of the reports arriving in England, his poem had been written. It was tremendously popular. And this is what came out of all of that. Half a league, half a league, half a league onward, all in the valley of death rode the 600. Forward the light brigade, charge for the guns, he said. Into the valley of death rode the six hundred. Forward the light brigade, was there a man dismayed? Not though the soldier knew someone had blundered. Theirs not to make reply, theirs not to reason why. Theirs but to do and die, into the valley of death rode the six hundred. Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon in front of them volleyed and thundered. Stormed at with shot and shell, boldly they rode and well, into the jaws of death, into the mouth of hell rode the six hundred. Flashed all their sabres bare, flashed as they turned in air, sabring the gunners there, charging an army, while all the world wondered. Plunged in the battery smoke, right through the line they broke, Cossack and Russian reeled from the sabre stroke, shattered and sundered. Then they rode back, but not, not the six hundred. 
Cannon to the right of them, cannon to the left of them, cannon behind them volleyed and thundered, stormed at with shot and shell while horse and hero fell. They that had fought so well came through the jaws of death, back from the mouth of hell, all that was left of them, left of six hundred. When can their glory fade? Oh, the wild charge they made, all the world wondered. Honour the charge they made, honour the light brigade, noble six hundred. You can tell why it's popular. I mean... People, it's kind of unlike anything else that's coming out at the time. People were printing it on pamphlets. People were sending it over to the Crimea where people are still serving. And when worlds collide, of course, who was at the Crimea? It was Mary Seacole who comes up a little bit later when we're looking at checking out my history. Obviously, I thought I could escape the Crimea after researching and writing this one, but apparently not. We're coming back with Mary C. Cole. <laughs> so what happened when somebody blundered? The general, Raglan, blamed the commander of the Light Brigade, Lucan. Lucan attempted to publish a letter in the Times criticising his superiors and trying to clear his name. It ended up him being called into the House of Lords, and bear in mind that they are all at all lords, of course they are, to defend his good name. To be honest, like, they kind of sort of hushed it up and didn't really reach any conclusions. They were like, oh, oh yeah, it wasn't your fault, um, but they didn't actually say whose fault it was. He ended up being a field marshal. He never saw active duty again, but he was a field marshal at the time of the First World War. Just about. Nobody really took any slack for it. It was more convenient for everyone to be like, Oh no, it was a heroic defeat. Yes, uh, okay, let's move on. Rather than other like notorious defeats, such as Gallipoli, which I'm going to talk about in a couple of episodes time where blame has firmly been placed on the Brits. Everyone sort of gets off scot-free. Couple of interesting things, though, to round off our episode. People are still interested in this conundrum of the Charge of Delight Brigade. Some newer researchers say that if the guy who delivered the message and the commander of the Light Brigade did not hate each other so much, then that would have solved the problem. Mathematicians have also examined this because of course they have you know i said about the big capital y shape in the ground if they'd have taken the other route on the y according to these mathematicians there would have been more casualties so actually this was the quote unquote better of the two options but if they'd have planned in advance, the light brigade went ahead and the more heavy weaponry, what we call the heavy brigade with like the proper gun, if they'd have been ready to follow in the main charge, it would have totally succeeded. So this is your motto in these times of COVID isolation is be prepared like a boy scout or a girl guide. The other thing that messed with me, actually, the very last survivor of the Charge of the Light Brigade had been a very young man at the time. He died in 1927. So, I want to point out, 
One of my grandfathers was born in 1921. My other grandfather was born in 1927. So, even though it's like 170 years ago, this is modern. This, in the history of the world, a survivor of that charge could realistically have met my grandfather. What? What is this? I mean, I don't know if it's just that people lived a longer time, but that, that messed with my mind. The main legacy of the Crimean War, of course, is that it sort of set the stage for the First World War, which is gonna be important for Wilfred Owen and Ted Hughes' bayonet charge. So this is like the, the little little taster. This is the trailer for the big event. Oh my. Also, placing my bets about one day whether the Charge of the Light Brigade is going to be made into some like Hollywood movie with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch playing like a noble hero who dies because he always does them war films. So place your bets now whether this is going to be a Hollywood Oscar winning hit. Thank you very much for sticking with me through the story of the charge of the light brigade str8 talk english on twitter straighttalkenglish.com patreon slash straight talking english every penny helps and for a pound a month you can sponsor the show and support what i am doing top tier subscribers will be able to commission an episode and an essay on any literary text that they want it's a good deal we have a Facebook group, Straight Talking English. If you look on Amazon, the full context, you'll be able to see a lot of really cool books. And the fifth will be joining them very soon. YouTube, search up Straight Talking English. You'll be able to see my face and what it does. Thank you all very much for listening. Avoid the valley of death. And I will speak to you very soon. Mm-hmm.